Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Alone time is something that we all appreciate every now and then. Even the biggest social butterfly needs a moment in the cocoon. But too much social isolation can be harmful. Last month, U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murthy raised a call to action addressing what he sees as a public health crisis, a so-called loneliness epidemic that's impacting Americans' physical and mental health. To understand more about the effects of isolation and loneliness, we're talking to Eve Escalante, clinical social worker at Rush University Medical Center. Eve, what are some of the symptoms of loneliness? So, you know, I think it's helpful to think about the distinction between loneliness and social isolation. Sometimes we use those terms interchangeably, but there actually is a difference. Okay. Um, so social isolation is something that actually is um, more more something we can measure. It's objective. So it's really more of um, a, a lack of connection with, with individuals that we can actually measure and put them more of a number to, mm-hmm. whereas loneliness is really more of the feeling. So it's something that, um, you know, is a little bit harder to describe. Um, and something that we don't always think about is that people who um, are actually really surrounded by a lot of people can experience feelings of loneliness. So yeah. you can have a lot of friends, you can have a lot of family, you can be, you know, going to work every day and surrounded by people, but still experience feelings of loneliness. So and we'll talk thing. some more about that. I'm, I'm glad you made the distinction between social isolation and loneliness. Now, since loneliness is the feeling, talk to me about the difference then between like loneliness and depression or anxiety. Sure, sure. So, you know, depression and anxiety are things that, you know, have more of symptoms that come along with them. So those are things that we can look at over time. Um, uh, You know, depression uh, has symptoms that come along with uh, things that are like, you know, lack of sleep or changes in sleep, uh, changes in appetite, um, feelings of guilt, feelings of worthlessness. Um, Anxiety is, you know, uh, differentiated by normal day-to-day stress because it's something that is out of our control or, you know, worrying to the level of, um, you know, impacting our mood or impacting our day-to-day functioning. Um, Loneliness is that feeling more of just um, really feeling disconnected from the others around us. Um, And I think it's... uh, you know, it's it's a feeling that's normal to experience, um, but I think one of the things that we want to look at is, is it something that's distressing to us? So if it's going on for a period of time that, you know, has, has gone long enough where it's impacting our functioning mm-hmm. um, or impacting our health, um, because now there is research that's looking at how does loneliness or prolonged social isolation impact our health, that's when we want to begin to talk to someone about it. And some stats to support that, loneliness and social isolation increase the risk for premature death by 26 and 29% respectively. And uh, lacking social connection can actually increase the risk for premature death as much as smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. Yeah, a pack of cigarettes a day. Mm -hmm. Um, This might be a silly question, Eve, but, you know, is it healthy to feel lonely from time to time? I think of the fact that, you know, I'm a parent of two teens and I, I often throughout the years have told them, you know, kids classic, I'm bored, I'm bored. Right. And I've told them from time to time, like, oh, it's okay. Sometimes you're going to be bored. You're going to be bored sometimes. And that's perfectly fine. Does this work in the same way? Yeah, I'm not sure if the word we would use is healthy, but I think it's very normal. Um, And so I think that, you know, and 
the pandemic obviously highlighted that experience that we all had of feeling a little bit disconnected from from people or from experiences that we were having day to day. Um, I think one of the things that we've sort of lost touch with is the idea that, you know, it's it's not only a normal human experience, like I just mentioned, but I think it's really important to foster relationships with ourselves to try to figure out what is it that brings us meaning and purpose. Mm. Um, and that's also a helpful distinction. I was having a conversation with an older adult um, talking with him about the fact that during the pandemic, you know, because some of these stats can scare us a yes, little bit. Absolutely. And so I think it's important to to really reinforce the fact that, um, you know, these longer term health impacts start to, to take place really when it's been a prolonged period of social isolation. So this isn't okay. after, you know, a couple of weeks or something like that. This gentleman said to me, you know, am I, am I, should I be worried about the fact that during the pandemic, he said, I actually, you know, I, I stopped working, I retired. He said, and I actually see people a lot less, he mm-hmm. said, but I've begun to take up new hobbies where I've found so much meaning and connection with myself. Mm. He said, I am actually, you know, enjoying all these Netflix series, I'm cooking, I'm, I'm finding all these new ways that I'm finding meaning and purpose within myself. And the question really that we t- processed more was, is that distressing to you? And he said, no, actually, I still, you know, hang out with people here and there, but I have this newfound relationship with myself. And so I think that's the key question is, is the experience feeling distressing or not? Yeah. I mean, as we mentioned earlier, the U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Murthy, says loneliness, isolation, and this lack of connection in our country, it's become a public health crisis. Now, what do you think about that? Is is it because of that prolonged period that you were just describing? Is that what when we got into crisis mode? I, I think so, but I also think that you know, in in some ways, you know, we don't pay attention to things until they're labeled as a public health crisis, and so, you know, uh, you know, unfortunately, it's taken us to get to that point until we're yeah. paying attention to this, and that's when we then start to fund things and put people behind them and put policies behind them. Also, in his uh, health advisory, Dr. Vivek Murthy said, "quote." We must prioritize building social connection the same way that we've prioritized other critical public health issues like tobacco, obesity, substance use disorders, right? So I think he's making a similar point. Sure. What needs to change or happen to to start making connection a priority, Eve? You know, I think one of the the biggest fundamental shifts that we need in our society is to sort of combat this idea of independence. We live in a society that so values the idea of independence uh, versus independence, Mm -hmm. or uh, excuse me, versus interdependence and reliance on others. You know, we have this idea that you pick yourself up by the bootstraps, you figure stuff out, you don't talk about what's wrong. Um, And obviously, I'm a a social worker, so I I, I combat that every day. Yeah. you know, in, in a micro and meso and macro level. But um, I think that's really what has to change is this idea that we are unique in feelings of loneliness um, or in, in, in any difficulty or struggle that we're going through. And so, you know, one of the recommendations I know is to deepen our knowledge. That's having conversations like we're having and, and putting it out there. Um, and it has to be backed then by, by action, right, by funding and by people to work on these things and by looking at innovation and how we can use our resources. But I guess I, I really do feel like it needs to be a fundamental shift in our society around thinking that we don't need others and that we don't need to rely on others because yeah. we, we really do. We need we need each other in every way. You're very involved with uh, Russia's Center for Excellence in Aging. So you are working with older people who are often at risk of mm-hmm. social isolation and those feelings of loneliness that we talked about. Why is that the case? Why are they at higher risk? Yeah. Um, 
I think that, well, Rush is really focused on uh, older adults who are living on the west side. So uh, for myself, more older adults, but that's our sort of catchment area and anchor mission. Um, and what we're hearing from, you know, those older adults living in that in that community is that obviously there's been disinvestment for, for many, many years in that community. Um, and we know that older adults, you know, despite having fewer relationships, those relationships tend to be much deeper and have more meaning in older adulthood. Um, so I think we have to work against that sort of ageist idea. Mm-hmm. But having said that, we do know that older adults also have higher risk of social isolation. They're retired. Um, oftentimes they are losing the people that are that are important to them um, if they're experiencing cognitive changes or changes with hearing or vision or things like that that puts them at higher risk but the individuals that we're working with at rush that live in these communities are also on top of that experiencing you know um, really big concerns around safety. So we're telling somebody that's an older adult, well, just go for a walk and just meet people in your neighborhood. Well, how do you do that when there's a concern for your basic safety and getting out and about? How do you do that if your sidewalks aren't functional? Right. Um, Go to the grocery store and meet up with people. Well, if you live in a food desert, how do you do that? Um, There's no transportation. There's a lack of infrastructure. So we're working with the Center for Excellence in Aging really at – you know, the, the, the micro level. So mm-hmm. working individually with people and then also on more of a policy level to see how do we influence, um, you know, the policies that will make these, um, these environments and neighborhoods more accessible to older adults. Uh, I think the other thing that we're looking at is how do we, you know, as a, as healthcare, that's my lens from a healthcare institution, right. how do we make programs accessible to older adults? We have this idea that I'm going to build a program and people will just come to me, right? As a healthcare institution, I'm going to sort of build this thing and they'll come. What we really have to do is try to figure out how do we, how do we go to people? Meet them where they are. Right. Yeah. Right. We heard from a recent newsletter subscriber named Miss Bindi Bitterman, who uh, wanted to weigh in on the conversation. Now, she's 92, and she's lived in a group situation for seven years now. And she says that her neighbors are quick to emotionally support her. This line from her comment, though, is what stuck out to me. Uh, She said, quote, growing old is scary enough. Growing old without close companionship is murder, Mm. end quote. Thoughts? I mean, you just did a deep sigh yeah. there. Yeah, it's tragic. It, it really is. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that we've seen during the pandemic is that the ways in which people, or older, older adults especially, connected organically with people was broken down. Um, you know, and as the world created new ways for us to connect with others, right? So all of, all, everything went virtual, for example. Yeah. We didn't really think about how that impacted older adults. Did we give them the same technology? Did we give them the same accessibility to be able to connect with their neighbors, for example, in the same way? Any suggestions for those of us who are worried about and, and feeling maybe guilt uh, for someone else's loneliness? You know, sometimes I think of my parents, who are, you know, they're older now. Um, they don't live together. They are separate. Um, and, you know, just as, as they age, I feel this guilt for not being very close. Sure. You know, they live in another country. Um, and I'm not sure how to combat that. And, you know, sometimes I'll call, you know, other family members to go check on my dad or, you know, kind of weigh in on this or that. But from there on, I feel kind of helpless. Yeah. You know, I, I think in the in the social work world, we we talk a lot about how to manage feelings of helplessness and hopelessness. So this is something that we talk about on a pretty day to day basis. Yeah, I think one of the things that's been helpful to me is starting where you are. 
you know, whether that's with an older adult or a younger adult or whoever it is, someone you don't even know, there are opportunities for us to connect with others everywhere we go. And, you know, we're all just one person, but we all are one person. And so there are opportunities for us to connect organically and in meaningful ways, you know, day to day. And so I, I think just start starting with what's around you, starting with the problem that you see right before you. When do you feel most lonely? And as someone who studies this, how do you overcome your feelings of loneliness? Um, I think, you know, the work that we do in terms of just my own work and in terms of the profession of social work can be a a hard place to be. Um, And I think what brings that on generally is the feeling that we are often sitting with people. Our job isn't really to, our job is to create meaningful change, of course, but oftentimes that involves just sitting with people that are in situations that I, I can't do anything about mm-hmm. and holding space for them. And so that can bring on a lot of, um, you know, compassion fatigue. And I think what we've done to combat that, at least, you know, in my in my workplace is to create spaces for us to come together in community to, to talk about how we're managing those feelings. Um, so that, I think, can be a lonely place. Um, but yeah. creating community around that, again, not that there's anything we can do to, to change, you know, again, disinvestment in these communities. Um, but that's been something that, that has been helpful is to create that space to be able to process it. So you've got the ears of a lot of listeners right now. So what do you want them to remember the next time they find themselves feeling a little lonely? I think, again, to look at what would bring them meaning and purpose, I think starting small and sustainable. So I think, you know, if I'm feeling lonely and I try to join 10 classes or try to start, you know, this gigantic goal of connecting with all these different people, that's probably not going to be a sustainable goal for me. So looking at, you know, both new opportunities, something new but small, and also looking at old connections and seeing is there something from my past that brought me meaning and purpose and, and happiness that I might be able to connect with. And also looking at, like we just talked about, is there a way that I could reconnect with something or someone who also would benefit from that connection? Yeah. Great tips. That's Eve Escalante, Manager of Program Innovation with Social Work and Community Health at Rush University Medical Center. Thank you so much. This episode of Reset was produced by Micah Yason, and it was edited by Andrew Merriweather and Stephanie Kim. Become part of the Reset community by subscribing to our podcast and newsletter. It's a great way to stay in the loop on what your neighbors and friends are talking about, and you can even join in on the conversation. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts, and go to wbez.org slash Reset News to get us in your inbox each morning. That'll do it for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll talk to you tomorrow.
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.